Welcome to the Life Size City Urbanism Podcast. I'm Michael Koval Anderson. Random dude, sorry. <laughs> it's all just, good, man. I heard you speak in English. And, uh, Things have been more random in my life. <laughs> okay. I can I can even come over there while you guys are eating. Oh, so that might help. be awesome, dude. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, sure. To be completely honest, I haven't spent a great deal of time contemplating the hows, whats, and whys of urban skateboarding. I flirted with it as a youth, thought it to be cool, but ended up pursuing other interests. My greatest skateboarding-related achievement was being the first person in my high school to acquire black-and-white checkered vans back in 1983, and I am still proud. But hey, I've lived in over a dozen cities around the world, and everywhere I go, I see skateboarders. For me, they are a natural part of urban life. Citizens using public space. The clack-clack-clack of wheels on sidewalk cracks or the sound of a board landing after a trick are, for me, part of the integral soundtrack of a healthy city. As an urban designer, it's my job to think about citizens interacting with public space. And having a skateboarding colleague for the past couple of years has made me look closer at the subject. If we break it down, it's just design. Certain elements need to be in place to make it happen. I decided to explore urban skateboarding, to see what the state of the urban skateboard nation is and to figure out if there are any design guidelines for making a skateboard-friendly city. In a nutshell, what's it all about? How can cities be better at designing for skateboarding? What do skateboarders need and how do they think? You don't have to be a skateboarder to get stuck into this episode of The Word on the Street. This is about their culture, absolutely, but it's about design, public space, youth culture, citizen engagement, gender, and the simple respect for the diversity of activities that our fellow urban citizens take part in. I've been thinking about this episode for a few months, but a spontaneous interview in Paris in the summer of 2018 was the massive shove I needed to get the wheels rolling. My name is Joel Martel, and I'm from uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. All right. And uh, we're sitting at this cafe on the Place de... Republic. Yes. And uh, I noticed you had a skateboard. And I'm noticing skaters on the other side on the square. Is that why you're here, Joel? Well, it's not necessarily why I'm here exclusively, but uh, I'm a huge skateboarder. And I came over here to Paris partly to skate. And uh, Republic is like a world famous skate. It's the, it's the spot in Paris that you go okay. to start your day of skating. This is where you go first. So. All right. Where do you end your day when you're a skater in Paris? Probably with a beer in your hand and with any luck, a joy in your mouth. But you know, that's, that's if everything goes according to plan. But Any other answer and I would have canceled the interview, dude. <laughs> I zipped over here for a week and I've been here three days now. Skateboarding a little bit, but like today is my, is my first real big skate day. Have you skated already? Yes, yeah, I was over there before I came over and had breakfast. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah we're having a late start today, too. Yeah. <laughs> a of, uh, it happens, it's all right. So if you've traveled to various cities around the world, uh, you're conscious of skating in the public space. Yeah. What is uh, your experience with uh, Republic here on this square? It's amazing. What, what, what makes it so amazing is the fact that in very, very, very few places, municipalities and cities have managed to, first of all, integrate like a skateboard space into the city so well and and to, and to do it in such a in such a proper way because a lot of times it when you're in a city there will be a public park or whatever and they'll they'll allocate a certain amount of space for a skate park 
They'll contract different design companies to design a skate park that's very much unique in some ways, but really it's cookie cutter. It's and it's just, it's it's just they lay the concrete and it's just very blank. It's very plain. It's got elements that you would recognize and that everyone would be able to skate at the same time, but but really it's 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 super generic. It's very boring. It has no aesthetic to it. These are maybe city planners who Google skate park and they totally. just copy some designs. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes there are skateboarders that get their, their input, but it's still very restricted in what they do. Because the thing about skateboarding is, yes, people skateboard in skate parks, like in rec- recreational spaces. But as a broader culture, what skateboarding is, is using urban features and skateboarding in the street and allowing that the urban architecture to be manipulated in a way that you can perform tricks on. And it's, it's, it's an art form really. I mean, like a lot of people don't see it that way, but it's a, it's a culture and it's an art form and it's, it's in certain ways it can be appreciated by the pedestrian at large, but really a lot of people just kind of snub their nose at it. But here in a place like Republic, this is like, you couldn't pick a more beautiful backdrop with this beautiful statue in the background the ground is incredible. Like the, the surface, the surface to skateboard on is just, it makes the whole thing like, and, uh, but the, the, the coolest thing to me is that the way that they've designed the skate park is like in this circular form, but there's all these little areas to sit that everyone's sitting and watch. Some people are just sitting there watching skateboarders. Some people are just like enjoying their morning or whatever. It creates this natural barrier around this intersection so it really feels like you're in the middle of the city and the obstacle which is like small and simple really but it's it's got a lot of different ways to skate it so it stays interesting but it's built by the city it's got it's got granite it's you know it's it looks like it's meant to be there and they invested money in uh, the quality of the surface and and, and the facilities 100%. that you can, you can skate on huh? so if you go to a lot of famous cities i mean montreal has a place called parc la fontaine that has a big statue that a lot of people skate that's not that's not like this it's not the city didn't allocate that but it has these benches and it's just the spot to meet up there's a spot i can't remember the name of it now but it's in washington dc it's like at this big courthouse there are all these marble ledges everywhere and that's the spot there in barcelona there's a modern art museum called macba and that's extremely famous for skateboarding that's just a museum but they they allow skateboarders to be there certain days of the week to make it a lot to like integrate that into the urban environment so i think that's really cool so these cities that you're mentioning also here in paris i mean you're not relegated to some little square on the outskirts you're on one of the most iconic squares in the entire yeah. city this yeah, is where incredible. you know you got millions of people uh celebrating uh, the national day or protesting against things that's right. uh that's sort of like a real uh stamp of approval yeah. that skating's uh, accepted here do you think that? and yeah and there's another one of these at bastille like a different obstacle a different surface but a different same idea i was walking last night north of les Halles. But it was it was just like an alleyway. It was just in between two streets, and it was uh, just another one where they built some little things. So I think they're like speckled out throughout the city. But I mean, there's a way to do it wrong, and there's a way to do it right. What elements make it wrong? What 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 don't you want when you're going to skate on a public space? If the obstacles aren't built right, if they're not built on the right ground, if 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 it if it isn't conducive to also just like it being a gathering place, then it 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 just fails. But if, if it's got these elements of something that... Because when skateboarders go st- street skateboarding, 
oftentimes they have a videographer or a photographer with them and they're going out and they're trying to find little pockets and areas of places to skate all over the city. It's very hard to do that. It's very difficult because if you're trying to document something, you have to set up cameras and everything and you have to find these spots and oftentimes you're getting kicked up by security immediately. So when you're going out, you're being productive in the streets and if you're, if you're a very good skateboarder, you're getting coverage, you're in magazines and whatnot. So you have to do that kind of thing. But it's, it's, it can be stressful. It can be very, very hard. So it's really, really nice when you're out street skating to be out being productive but getting kicked out of spots. But you always have a place to go that you know it's Plan B, safe. Plan C. You know it's easy. You can just go there. You can go get a 40 on the corner and drink it out of the bag. Maybe you don't want to hear that part. but Oh, no, that's what we do. Don't worry, dude. And they public drinking in Copenhagen. Everywhere on the planet. It's not where you're from. Yeah, I think you'll agree that the random encounter with Joel in Paris was possibly the best crash course in skateboard urbanism I could ever hope for. Our conversation, however, posed just as many questions as it answered. He's telling me that Paris and Barcelona, for example, are doing it right. Why, then, are so many cities getting it wrong? Not just the lack of urban design for skateboarding, but also the conscious efforts by municipalities to simply stop it. That sad narrative has been around since I was a kid. And there is still such a massive misconception about skateboarding in many parts of the world. Personally, I see nothing wrong with it. Like I said, it's just citizens using public space. I decided that I needed to find someone to talk to about all of this from a municipality's perspective. Now, globally, that is an almost impossible task. Luckily, I didn't have to look hard or travel far. I hopped aboard a train and headed over to the city of Malmö, Sweden's third largest city located just across the strait from Copenhagen. You won't believe who I met. I've been exploring skateboard urbanism and what cities are doing, what cities can do better, what cities are doing badly uh, to accommodate uh, skateboarders in in the city. And uh, I think you're probably one of the most relevant people I could possibly talk to on the entire planet about this subject because you work for the city of Malmö as what? Skateboarding coordinator. Essentially, I run all the activities from the streets and park department that has to do with skateboarding. It's working with uh, events, the big skate events we do, but also about creating skate-friendly spaces around the city. Wait a sec. You heard that right. Malmo has a skateboard coordinator, a city employee tasked with all things skateboarding. Gustav Svanborg Eden met me near the Trianglen train station on a beautiful sunny day in October. Weather, which apparently also appealed to the seagulls flying around squawking during the entire interview. We discussed both his unique job, but also his visions for urban skateboarding. Gustav is tall, solid, lean, cool, with that rugged look of a surfer or ski guide that every man envies. Is it lonely being you in the municipality uh, context around the world? There can't be very many conferences where the city's skateboard coordinators show up to discuss uh, best practices or challenges. I mean, are there any other cities with a guy like you? Not so much yet, but there are quite a few that are starting to work in this way. Skate communities around the world reach out to us to help them in their dialogue with their municipalities, but also a lot of municipalities contact us to get advice about how to work with skateboarding, because uh, word is out there that Malmö is the world's most skate-friendly city. I mean, is it the world's most skate-friendly city? When I talk to skateboarders you know, around the world, the more international ones have maybe thought of Barcelona or Paris. I mean, you rank yourself up there, this lovely little city in southern Sweden? Well, I think we are probably the most uh, proactive in working with uh, utilizing the benefits to the city that skateboarding can create. 
Barcelona, I mean, it's an amazing city. The architecture, the, the scale, the scope, the, the life in general is amazing. We can't compete with that. But, I mean, they, they uh, have busloads of tourists that come to their central spots and there are police waiting there for them to give them tickets. <laughs> so, and so they, their policy is not to necessarily to embrace skateboarding. But in Malmö, we work proactively and closely with the skateboarding community to, to try and sort of manifest all the benefits that skateboarding can bring. And I think that's unique. So how long has Malmo had you or has, has had this position of having a skateboard coordinator? Is it new or has it been around for a while? Um, I've been working in this role for five years, but my predecessor who developed this kind of platform uh, worked with the city for eight years with skateboarding uh, and it grew out of events. So Malmö attracted big events when they built the Stapelbedsparken, the big concrete skate park. And so the city needed someone to work with the skaters to deliver these big events, you know, with grandstands and police permits and licenses and all that stuff. So uh, the city and the skaters learned to produce these events together. And when I came in, they had started doing events in the uh, in, at, in street spots in the, the urban landscape. But I've sort of developed that further and, and tried to work more strategically with how to, to use skateboarding to activate urban spaces and create social platforms around the city and so on. So Manu is really ahead of a curve. I mean, I don't even think most cities are even on this curve yet, but you guys are like way ahead if you have 13 years of, uh, of, of experience trying to integrate skateboarding. Yeah, I think uh, we've definitely come a long way. I mean, there's a lot of other cities that are, have done great things, but I think the difference uh, in Malmö is the formalized role, the fact that the it's been a recurring steady budget and that the city has someone who works from the inside to uh, to try and create these values. I think that's that's what makes the difference. Give me some context about what skateboarders are up against in other cities in the world, in North America, for example. I mean, are they really like a, a hunted species or I mean, or is it? <laughs> I think what skateboarders are up against is kind of like two things. One is the perception of skateboarding. The other is uh, who's doing it. And the perception is that it's, you know, loud and it causes damage and it, you have conflicts with pedestrians. What I think skateboarders are up against is both the perception of skateboarding uh, and also the fact that they're usually uh, young teenage men, right? It's good that that's changing, but uh, still uh, predominantly men. So the what other people are confronted with when they see skateboarding is, is young guys coming down the street making noise and then they see the marks of skateboarding and they think that that's intentional uh, and it just looks like a destructive activity and i think that very very shallow understanding of what skateboarding is has been the foundation of uh, council's reactions to skateboarding for a long time which is this is disturbing it's uh, not constructive if we have to have it let's build a park so we can move these users away from these spaces but all those issues are design issues you know so if you have a, an urban space where it, with a really good ledge and really good surface which is in a pedestrian bottleneck then of course you're going to get conflict with pedestrians yeah and also if you have a really good bench but it's made out of wood so that the wood chips or made from something that uh, where the marks of skateboarding show easily then uh, it's going to break and you're going to see the damage but if you you know have the right space uh, where there's no conflict with pedestrians, where uh, there are no residences or offices close by so that they get disturbed by the noise, and you have materials that can sustain the wear of skateboarding, 
all of a sudden this disruptive negative uh, activity has become something that creates an active lifestyle for young people that can populate and activate spaces that otherwise don't get used and that also creates like a social platform for young people that don't want to be part of team sports or don't want to do organized things that just want to hang out and engage with their activity on their own terms uh, essentially the what people are up against is just a lack of understanding and i think if you can help skaters communicate that the other values of skateboarding to their cities then uh, we have a, a good foundation for uh, for skateboarding to become part of the urban fabric uh, around the world now you see some i guess creative solutions uh, stemming from this lack of understanding or ignorance uh, in in many cities in the world i mean you have a nice sort of uh, a bench planter or whatnot, and then they, they bolt in uh, barriers so that you can't, you know, uh, grind across uh, the, the edge. What are some of the craziest uh, examples you've seen somewhere in the world? <laughs> Man, I've seen some, I've seen skate stoppers is what we call them, the uh-huh. little metal caps or uh, essentially they look like staples across like the ledges. I've seen them going up walls like, you know, four meters up in the air. I've seen just just really random ways of taking beautiful architecture and putting these big metal pipes around these marble benches that just looks way worse and disrupts the aesthetic way more than any skate damage ever could. Yeah, the, the key thing with skate stoppers to me is it, that it admits that you couldn't do your job. <laughs> if they're, like, there are not many good skate spots. There's a massive majority of all ledges around the city are rubbish to skate at for very many different reasons like the ground's bad the the context is wrong the the ledge is made from the wrong material or the wrong shape or the wrong height or whatever but then people design these perfect skate spots which and and then they go oh hang on people are going to skate them but they place them in the wrong place and so they go as a, as an afterthought now i have to destroy my own design by placing these caps on them so it's like okay so you were a rubbish designer because you didn't, you didn't do your job properly, and you had to do this destruction to your own design as an afterthought. Uh, do a better design, know more about skating, and then you wouldn't have this problem. If you don't want skateboarding here, and there are plenty of places where skateboarding is not good in the city, just don't do really good skate spots where they shouldn't be. And then, on the other hand, where skateboarding could have a home or you know benefit the city somehow, use right materials and 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 work with the skaters to activate these spaces, and then. Skate stoppers are ugly and they're uh, the result of bad design, essentially. The reason skateboarders feel alienated from the cities is a lot of the time the efforts to work against the skaters are bigger than the efforts to work with them. When you skate stop a bench, you're not just preventing an action, you're also alienating a community. You're telling the person who dedicates their whole life to their passion and their interests of skateboarding that they are not parts of the community. They're not welcome in this space. We do not value your passion. You're not part of uh, what we value. So you're very actively alienating the youth constituency of your city which is really destructive. And that will create this kind of counterculture and the sort of more negative or anarchist part of skating or skate culture, or a lot of youth culture, which is just like fuck society. Skate stoppers are creating that relationship. That's something to really consider when, before using them as well.
how do you regard your work? Is it accommodating the existing skate culture? Those kids are out there. They need a place to skate. We don't want to alienate them. We're going to uh, design for them. Or is it the role that these skateboarders have in society? And what could that be? Yeah, what, what's their role in society? I think they're young people that want to do something fun and want to uh, have a vehicle to create and discover their own identity. And they want to have releases for physical energy and, and also set goals and achieve things uh, and and that's what skateboarding allows you to do i mean skateboarding is fun on its own and it has other things to offer than just being part of a team and being part of a sport you you have a link to music culture to film photo video art uh, skateboard culture connects to all those areas if the young skaters out in the city uh, have a relationship with the city that they're valued and that they can work with the city uh I mean, we've seen the, the people that come out of skateboarding culture. A lot of the time you get some really interesting, creative people who, who've gone on to, to do great things. And I think skateboarding community and the, the individuals that are attracted to that have great opportunities to be sort of valuable citizens. On the positive side, on the negative side, you have young people who don't like organized sports who want to engage with activities on their own terms, who perhaps have a lot of extra energy and who may not have the resources to, uh, to be part of kind of organized activities for various reasons, and they have nowhere to go. If they don't find an interest or a social context or a social capital or develop a cultural capital, they are bang right square in the middle of the most costly groups in society, which is young people that find drugs or learn destructive behavior or hang out with the other people that just hang out around the streets. Skateboarding really has a... And, and any activity that kind of uh, is spontaneous in the urban context really has an opportunity to, to give those at-risk youth a valuable connection that can really change the path of their, their lives. And that's... Uh, massive saving for any municipality or city or society. By nature, skateboarders are a little bit subcultural, insular. You know, they like to hang out with their, with their homies, uh, a little bit of anarchistic uh, feeling going on there. I, I mean, does that work designing an entire city for skateboarders when maybe they want to be rebels without a cause and skate the illicit locations uh, on the urban landscape? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's a really important point, And it's something that should be honest about looking at in skateboarding. I think skateboarding is very diverse. It's like, it crosses a lot of demographies. It's individuals from all kinds of different backgrounds and, and personalities and character get attracted to skating. So it's hard to say skaters are like this or they're not like that. But there is a tendency, uh, I mean, the, the sort of cultural old values of skating are, you know, to be critical to be sort of anti-establishment to be think for yourself to do it yourself to be perhaps rebellious uh, definitely a part of the experience of going skating is not about just training at a perfect spot it's about scouting and finding new places in the city that no one had thought you could skate and then by doing the act of skateboarding them you're showing that your creativity can be part of creating this action which was this skateboard trick so you go to some industrial uh, lot and find a ledge behind a parking lot or a loading dock and something that no one's ever thought of and you do a trick there that no one could 
imagine, and then you film that and you show that to the skating world, and that's your publication in an academic novel or your latest album that you've released. You know, that's uh, how you help further skateboarding. It's like comparing running on a, on a treadmill with going hiking, and there is definitely a danger of, or uh, I mean, people. If you just build a city that's perfect for skateboarding, you're you're taking the opportunity to discover away from people. So people, when we you know place perfect granite benches in a, in a square with perfect ground, some diehard people think, hey, is th this is kind of a skate park now. It doesn't count. <laughs> But it's also, and this is what's interesting about skateboarding. Skateboarding isn't just about that creativity or it's not just about being a sport or it's not just about anything it's a mix of all of it so if you're a skater you want a perfect ledge because you want to learn new tricks so that when you go out and film something in a new spot you have something to bring to it and sometimes you don't want to hike out to the suburbs you just want to skate your ledge and have a good time so yeah building and designing for skating is going to help a lot of people uh you know develop an interest for skating and have a place to do it and it's going to further skateboarding but those people aren't necessarily i mean that's not going to replace going to find other spots around the city and so perhaps some of that damage is going to keep on happening but on the other hand if people understand more about skating then other forms of architecture that could be skated on might get adjusted so it can happen or not but it won't cause the damage And then uh, it's not necessarily a problem anymore. And also, I mean, uh, you know, uh, what's interesting about architecture is that the architects that uh, design have different ideas and different concepts that a lot of the time uh, create opportunities for skating that the skaters hadn't expected, that create, you know, allows something new to happen, or that the architects had never, the skaters bring something that the architects have never imagined. So. Uh, there's enough different quirky shapes and combinations of architecture around the city for the discovery to keep happening by using the right materials. There's going to be room for creativity, I think, even if you do design with skateboarding in mind. I mean, you can design for skating and you can also design for no skating. If there's a location here in Malmö and you're going to redesign some square or some, some area... I mean, does the city sometimes say, ah, that's, there's a lot of footfall from pedestrians here. Maybe we don't want so many skaters here. So do you make that conscious decision to advise the, the architects, the landscape architects, to maybe not use the good materials? Uh, is that also part of, uh, a part of your job? Um, Designing badly for skateboarding on purpose <laughs> because there's a good reason for it? Damage and wear and tear and so on happens in the city in many different ways. And for me, it's okay if a bit of that happens, if the benefits that skateboarding uh, create are a result of it. And then it's just about managing those kind of, you know, uh, if there's a, a place where that creates a lot of trouble, okay, so either we make it a better skate spot or we uh, work with the skaters to, to create a dialogue or we, you know, find a, a less... Uh, negative way of preventing it from being skated and that's okay you know uh, it's uh you know it's about taking responsibility in different ways so i think i don't know i i think it's you can do both things <laughs> right or have it both ways i suppose from the city side and the town planner side i mean we have a lot of places for skating and the the people who are the least active and need most investment for urban activity or or um you know, uh, spontaneous uh, urban activity spaces are young women in the suburbs. 
and uh, skateboarding still is extremely male-dominated. So uh, investing a lot of money into new skate spaces when we have such a big diversity of skate spots is not necessarily a priority for everything. Uh, the good thing about skating is that it, it can function with other design. So skateboarding, a skate, like if you're going to build ledges and they're skate friendly, that doesn't take away from other things. I mean, skateboarding can coexist with, uh, with other activities. But I think skateboarding is definitely not a priority in every space. Uh, and also for us, we, uh, if we have a load of skate spaces but no one uses them, <laughs> then it looks bad. It looks like we've invested in, uh, in a user group that uh, doesn't make use of what's been given to them. So right now we're, uh, we're looking at a few more uh, projects and we're going to keep working with using skate-friendly architecture. But we're also working particularly with uh, you know, reaching new people uh, for skateboarding, having like... Uh, uh, new areas where we do temporary skate parks and have skate classes and demos and that kind of thing to, to sort of uh, develop the interest in skateboarding. Uh, we need more skaters right now, uh, more than we need more spots. Now, the question of, of gender, I mean, you know, we live in two of the most gender equal countries in the world. But yeah, skateboarding, man, it's, it's very, very male dominated. Uh, how do you just generally, maybe not as a city, but as, you know, as a skateboarder, how do you tackle that? Because that's really how it's always been. And that seems to be a tough nut to crack to get more girls uh, onto boards. You have to see it to be it, right? The skateboarding culture has been financed by the skateboarding industry from day one. And the skateboarding industry has looked at their market and realized, oh, hang on, this is all teenage guys. How do you communicate with teenage guys? Skateboarding's been awash with drug and alcohol romanticism, really objectified women, all the kind of traditional rebellious punk teenage stuff, predictably so. But it's also meant that by using those communication tools to like spark the interest of teenage guys wanting to be cool, uh, you've also alienated the female community. Women who have been interested in skating around the world have essentially looked at it as like, okay, I'm an anomaly, this is not for me. Some have braved it and become skaters, but it's been so rare that the guys have been like, yeah, you are an anomaly, this is weird, you're not a real girl or whatever, uh, because it's been like teenage dumb guys who don't know better, <laughs> and it's pathetic, you know, it's terrible. Same with, you know, LBTQI issues, and like the first famous pro skater to come out did that about two years ago or whatever it's it's so late and terrible but i think with skateboarding becoming more mainstream and broader and more kind of assimilated with the uh, popular culture a lot more girls have started skating and also the visibility has increased so the interest has been higher uh, from our side we've worked very proactively with developing female skateboarding because we've in Malmö they've always seen that as a, as a problem of something negative and the things that have really worked have been yeah see it to believe it like if you communicate something about skate events or if there is a skate event make sure the girl there are girls there so in on posters and any kind of uh, communication material make sure the women are visible if you do events get women there equalize the prize money invest in the uh, development of the female skate scene also if you have a, a skate space like a skate park typically and you look at the vibe there like if you're a beginner that's intimidating enough to just have 
a bunch of teenage guys like skating really hard and being really kind of testosterone. The testosterone vibe is really high. So to just ask anyone to step into that out of their own accord and just be a beginner or stand out is a lot. But to be a girl as well, that's asking too much. So uh, we've seen that if you create a separate time for beginners uh, and separate time for girls at the skate park so they can get comfortable in the space, develop their skills, create their own social network, that really, really helps building the community. And it also helps the, the female skaters to develop the confidence to then be able to step into the, the sort of male-dominated spaces and diversify them, which then leads to greater acceptance and kind of mellows that out, provides a bridge for the transition between male dominance and more more gender equal scene. When we do Skate Malma Street, the big street event we do here, we have the same budget for flying women here or to invite girls. We have the same prize money for women. We co-run all the heats and competitive elements so that it's not like, okay, the girls have their comp at nine in the morning and then the guys do the finals and that's the real show. Mm. We, we co-run it so that it's girls and guys mixed the whole time because it's skating. It's not about who wins or whatever anyways. It's about the session. It's about the hangout. It's about the kind of cultural exchanges. We have these different strategies and we've really seen a big difference. Like Brigadier, the, the local skate organization, have gone from, I think, one female member to over 400 in 10 years. And it's escalating really quickly. My modus operandi when thinking about urban design is boiling things down to the basic elements. If we're going to design for skateboarding in our cities, what's the design guide? What elements are key? Skateboarders seem to know what they need and what they want. What I'm wondering is if we can hammer out a design guide or a list of best practices so that cities elsewhere can copy-paste skateboarding quicker and more effectively into their urban landscape. We literally wake up in the morning and we skateboard in the streets all day long and we just need a place that's like central, centrally located to the rest of this sort of spots around and just a place that's like easy to go to. That's Joel Martel back in Paris. What skateboarders look at is very, very, very intricate details about something. Like, for example, like that ledge there on that, that flower planter, mm -hmm. you can see there's three cracks in the middle of it because it's set up in blocks. Yeah. Those blocks, when you grind over it with your board, they they chip inwards, right? So at they, the they, they point. groove at the thing, yeah. So when you grind across that, it's not you have to go very, 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 very fast. And even still, if you're not leaning back, you'll you'll catch on it, you'll fall. So we notice all those little things about these about obstacles everywhere. So it makes them either easier or harder to skate. So that that granite of that structure right there is a lot is a lot easier to skate because it's new, it's smooth, and you can grind right across it. And they built it in a way that it'll probably deteriorate a bit just from wear and tear, but they can replace that easy. Whereas those planters aren't going anywhere, right? right? So so a lot of times, um, a lot of these really really famous holy grail spots might be a little bit crusty, a little bit rough. But at the same time, they're still easy to skate. You can still grind on everything really easy. Like if you go to MACBA, the corners of the ledges, just because of what they're made out of, are still really smooth. So you can still grind and, and do a lot of stuff, even though there have been people skating those things for years. Yeah, well, you want it a little bit edgy too, right? It's like right. going to a, bed, yeah. like a clean hipster bar or going to some dive bar where uh, yeah. you don't know you know, who's been sitting uh, there before you. That's where you yeah. want to go, right? Yeah, you're That's an it. urban planner. You know, it's like it. it <laughs> Grit. I know what I know about grit. bars. No, <laughs> grit is just as much a part of like an urban landscape as anything. You know, right. when anything's too polished, you're. One of the primary catalysts for this episode is a man I worked with at Copenhagen Eyes Design Company. 
James Tome. Originally from Ontario, Canada, he now lives in Copenhagen. And more often than not, his skateboard is leaning up against the wall behind his desk. He is soft-spoken and thoughtful and cool as you like. Actually, there's a pattern about the skateboarders I know. They are always cool and unassuming. I met James on Israel's Place, a square in the heart of Copenhagen, to hear his thoughts about designing for skating from a skateboarder and an urban planner. I need the design guide from you. I need to know what cities need to consider when they want to make skate-friendly spots around the city or generally a skate-friendly city. Go. Well, of course, there's... Go. (laughs) Well, of course, there's the the classic skate park that everybody knows. But, I mean, for me, as a planner, the skate park is really this modernist idea that you have this segregated area where you put one land use and they have to stay contained within that box. But what really got me into urbanism and got me into skateboarding, actually, on both ends, is the opportunity to explore the city. And it's street skating that really speaks to me that I really enjoy doing best. So you mentioned how can, how can cities make plazas more skateboard friendly. From a design perspective or a programming perspective, there's a few basic boxes that you have to tick off. The very foundation is the, the ground, the surface. And with these small wheels, they're really, really sensitive to any little uh, bumps or cracks or anything like that. So you need a good, smooth surface. Concrete, asphalt, they're both good. Granite, like here, is, is pretty good as well. But because of the tiles sort of start to pop up after a couple of years, you know, you get these unwanted cracks. But really just concrete is the surface for me. It has a good, uh, good feeling for the wheels, but then also a good pop uh, as you do tricks. On top of that, then there's the, the openness. You need the space to actually be able to perform. It can't just be a, a thin alleyway or anything like that. You need the, the open space to be able to, to ride around uninterrupted in many cases. Once you got that ticked off, the smooth surface, wide open spaces, then it's also good to have elements that you can actually skateboard on. With the surface alone, you can of course do flat ground tricks, practice all that, play skate with your friends, but then you need the elements to actually perform the tricks on. So things like ledges, benches, embankments, all these really basic geometrical features make for good skateboarding. Things to do tricks on, things to do tricks over, tricks around. Uh, There's some elements that really stand out and they become sort of uh, an icon within the local community or within the uh, the global community uh, people see what who's done what on on what elements and it's always about going back to that spot and skating in a different way or one-upping somebody in some sort of way the elements in a skate spot are really like the supporting actor okay i get that but what about the materials of these supporting yeah. actors the elements uh, what kind of edge uh, is best what kind of uh, material would you uh, would you you recommend every yeah. time it all depends on what kind of tricks you're doing. So if you're doing, um, uh, if you're doing a trick over something, that doesn't really matter, right? It can be a block of wood. It can be a milk crate. That's a ton of fun. Or your um, friend. It can be, yeah, your friend or uh, a garbage can tipped over on, the, on, on its side. As long as the surface is smooth, then that's fine. But then if you're doing, say, a grind or slide on an edge, uh, if it's a ledge, then you want a nice hard surface. So granite marble everybody always talks about that's really nice uh concrete can work well with some wax on there uh metal can be good as well but it's doesn't last as well and it's uh doesn't have the same sort of feeling steel i guess is probably preferred metal but like wood wood is horrible doesn't really give a good resistance as you uh grind or slide on it the best surface really is uh concrete or granite for me you told me before we started recording today that you prefer Finnish granite. Was that yeah. were you being ironic, or is there, do you actually have this preference? No, actually, I do have this preference. I was being a little bit ironic, but there is a, a couple spots in Sweden that I really appreciate that have this Finnish granite on top. 
and uh, it just has the best sort of, it's just nice, firm, hard, loud, and uh, uh, holds its shape quite well. So it's, uh, yeah, that's one of my favorites. So it's not just uh, the performance qualities of the of the elements. It, you're also talking aesthetics. Uh, you know, the sound uh, appeals to you or the feeling of the of the material uh, on the on the board beneath yeah. your feet. Yeah, and the aesthetics actually kind of play into this whole sort of iconic spot thing too. Like the we're around the corner from Yamasplas where they have these uh, these granite uh, ledges that are sort of infamous, and they have this very distinct modernist shape to them with these these metal edges on on the one short side, and that has sort of become iconic in itself. Just that ledge, that the geometry of that ledge and the the image of that ledge has become iconic. Because skateboarding is such a visual thing, because there's so many, um, skateboard media is all about uh, photos and videos, you need a good background set. So you can have the same ledge, uh, the same exact element, if it's placed in, a, in an urban setting like this, it has much more uh, character to it and it will be much more attractive than if it's in a parking lot of a Walmart in Tennessee. That's, that's incredibly boring. Nobody's gonna wanna keep going back to that spot and skating that spot. Um, they'd much rather to be in a, in a space like this where there's other people and it's central and it's accessible and uh, there's, there's other people to see and be seen and you know there's a certain life to this space here. Okay, cool. Now let's go back to the man from the municipality and those noisy seagulls. I'll bet he has a thing or two to say about the specifics of design. Yeah, wow. Okay, so starting with surface. I mean, these are boards on... Urethane wheels that are between 50 and 65 millimeters, uh, like really small, hard wheels. Even small cracks, if you just take concrete slabs with a phasing of 0.5 centimeters, like 5 millimeters, uh, with a like one centimeter gap, that's quite a big crack and it's going to like create a noise and be disruptive to ride over. Or a elevation between two surfaces of perhaps two or three millimeters is going to like make a big difference. I mean, there's loads of characteristics of surfaces that sort of make exceptions to those rules, but uh, just to be able to roll around takes a lot. It takes a really smooth surface. And also, if you look at the size of a tennis court, like if you hold your board, take two steps to get speed, put your board down, do like a ollie, like a jump on the flat, land and ride out, you're almost on the other side of the tennis court. And that's just to do one trick. You need quite a lot of space sometimes. I mean, ramps kind of compensate for that because you're going back and forth and, and you can sort of narrow it down, but you need quite a lot of space. And then, uh, of course, the materials need to function to, to slide or grind on with wood and, and uh, like the interaction between wood or metal and the, the surface for the uh, ledge or whatever needs to work. It can't be too soft, it can't be too coarse. Wax alleviates those problems, but yeah, so there's, you know, that leaves concrete, stone, metal and not that much else. I thought so. At this point in the interview, I would expect nothing less from Gustav than that incredibly detailed description of the design specifications. But believe me, he's not finished yet. The main point, which is interesting, which skate park designers are learning now and are better at, but have uh, sort of forgotten in the past, is that, again, like, it's not about just the physical characteristics, it's about the human qualities. All my friends' favorite skate spots, if we have those conversations, they don't talk about, oh, the best park with the most functionality. They talk about the spaces they wanted to be in. Like, oh, one of the favorite old spots in Malmö was this old 
pond, which was empty in the spring that had stone ledges and trees around it and grass, like lawn around a lawn. And it was kind of a private space where the skaters created their own scene and would hang out and no one else would hang out there. And it was like, yeah, we always go there because it's such a good vibe. And that has as much to do with the lawn and the trees and the setting uh, as it does with those ledges. I mean, there was pretty much only ledges there. That's where real understanding of architecture comes into skate park planning because you want to create a space for people and then add functionality to that. Because a lot of the time you'll find that you end up building a skate park in some field outside a city that has nothing else around it to attract you as a person. And then you create this concrete landscape, which is just like depressing. And you're saying, hey, go there because you can practice your sport there. And that's just to not understand what the experience of skateboarding is about. It's about, you know, you, or at least street skating, going out in the city, finding places, hang out with your friends, producing and consuming the experience of the urban life, you know? That's like Flanar theory, I suppose. Well, that's, but, you it's, know, it's, it's like, basically every, anybody in the city. Is, I mean, they're just homo sapiens. They want to have a destination that's attractive, that offers them uh, social opportunities, uh, and then they can also skate. And, and that, that's what you're saying. I mean, that's that's everybody in, in every city, right? That's what we we all want is is that kind of space, to, you know, no matter what we do, whether we skate or we do something else. Yeah, how do you choose what bar you go to or what cafe? It's not just like, oh, they have coffee there. It's, there's more to it than that, you know. Uh, then you may, you know, you may want to go to a place with good coffee, like a good ledge. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that might make you go an extra few blocks, but it's still, you know, it's, it's about the setting. With skaters, we also have trajectories. Like you meet, a, you have a meetup spot, which is probably that place where you end up spending a lot of time that perhaps has the good ledge and the good flat ground. And you can meet there and wait for the other people who like couldn't get out of bed to arrive. And then, you know, someone starts filming something, you have to wait for them. But the intention is always to leave that place and go to the a next series of spots around the city. So you have like a trajectory plan, like, okay, this guy wants to film this at this spot in that area. Okay, but what else is around there? Okay, so close to that, there's that ledge or that set of stairs. Well, this guy might want to skate something on those stairs. And, oh, yeah, I'll, I wanted to film at this spot. We could do that at the same time. And then you create these kind of like trips around the city uh, with the, I mean, purpose of, doing tricks which you usually document you know so the creation of the evidence the film material and how you then present that and pre present your identity as a skater through that is like connected to these trajectories like where you are in the city and 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 how you experience that that's a big part of it if you build a great skate spot in an area where there are no skaters and you don't have an event and you don't give people an opportunity to learn about skating and kind of stepping over the threshold of becoming skateboarders it's not going to work so you need uh, and that's where malm has been really strong like you need a strong organization to provide those services that can you know hold skate courses and demos and show what skateboarding is and follow up on 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 that potential interest that doing an event or building a place has because otherwise you'll just have invested in a skate spot and it's empty if you build it they'll come is not enough you have to like build it get people there, keep them there, and then, you know, engage with the skate community and, and make those spaces work, you know. What other cities in the world can, you know, maybe someday match Malmö for being skate-friendly? What other cities have the greatest potential? Name five. Okay, right. So I think 
we're going to be catching up to other cities soon. So Melbourne is developing a skate policy, which uh, they need to consider when building new areas, which is probably going to generate a lot of new skate spots. There's uh, the city of Hull in England. The skaters there pitched the whole Skate Malmere project, which we do here, to their city. And they just got a massive grant uh, to rebuild the whole city centre to do what we do, but even more formalized. Just yesterday, I was uh, talking to my friend uh, Leo in Bordeaux, and he was talking about how Bordeaux is just essentially going into a phase of massive expansion. And they have, uh, the skaters have have, uh, secured a contract to work as consultants for the developing of all these new parts of town, which means that skateboarding will be uh, incorporated from scratch. And Bordeaux has a really strong skate scene with really creative skaters and a lot of, you know, different skate shops and different organizations that can provide all these things like skate clinics and uh, host events and so on. So Bordeaux will definitely be up there, I think. I would love to learn from other cities or to for Malmö to need to play catch-up, you know? Because if someone is able to do projects that we can't do here, we can, you know, use that as an argument uh, for our organization to, hey, look, they're doing this in Bordeaux or uh, Scarborough in Australia or some random city. Uh, we need that here um, because, you know, to keep this, keep up this work that we're doing. Malmö doesn't need to be in the lead. Like, it shouldn't, you know. We are. It's random that we are right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. so, uh, so and I mean, we're only in the lead in, in some senses. There's so many strong skate scenes out there that do things that we don't do. So, But, yeah, it's uh, essentially the, the more people that get involved, the better it'll get. Bordeaux, Hull, perhaps Melbourne. Vancouver is a great skate city. We just had a dialogue project with Montreal, so looking forward to what's going to happen there. Yeah, that's I five. don't know. That's, that's, five. Five. that's five random. Yeah. You no, know, yeah, you gave me five. Yeah, Barcelona well, doesn't need it. It's already amazing. Okay. Well, that's the next question. Where, what, what cities do you love to go to to skate? Yeah, I want to go where my friends are. I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're back to the social aspect. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But what I think is interesting. I mean, just the yeah. cities you're you're naming. You know, Melbourne, Hull. Montreal, Bordeaux, Malmö, these are not cities that normally are in a club together of any sort, right? So it's kind of cool that there's some outsider cities um, and in Philadelphia, uh, Vancouver, just sort of, this is where maybe the, there is an administration who listen to the skateboarders, who recognize the, the value of, of skateboarding in the public space. I mean, that, it could be anywhere in the world and it happens to be perhaps these cities that are starting the, the wave. Yeah, and also, I think yeah, again, the, the people where there's been like, a strong skate scene that have developed their own style and culture and communicated that to the world that's uh, you know uh, that's what have created those cities as much as the physical conditions that were there mm-hmm. I mean there's a ton of cities that have great skate spots but not that interesting characters so I think uh, you know again the, the phys- physical conditions and the human qualities uh, need to intertwine I mean it's a culture so you need to have strong cultural players uh, to broadcast whatever culture they they have, and then so it is again back to the people in a way, right? <laughs> sure, yeah, 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 no, it's you know you do it because it's social, uh, you know, and if a, a city is on the map, it's because there's the right people in that city doing the talking. Um, that's super interesting. Yeah, it's, we're not even talking about the board, you know. We're talking about some surface. We're talking <laughs> that about would what, be another yeah. few hours, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I gotta go back to Copenhagen. <laughs> What started out as a simple idea about searching for a design guide to help cities become better at planning for skateboarding ended up with this boy getting massively schooled about the subject. I think we ended up with the menu for design elements and facilities. 
Skateboarders are crystal clear about what they want and what they need. It seems pretty universal. But man, I'm left amazed at the many layers of this culture as well as the massive benefits to a city if they integrate skateboarding into their planning and their urban fabric. Still, so few cities have realized how important it is, which is kind of bizarre when you look around and see so much focus on urbanism and improving urban life. As Plato wrote, this city is what it is because our citizens are what they are. And they are so many amazing things, including skateboarders. You've been listening to The Life-Sized City, my podcast about urbanism and urban change. As ever, this episode was produced thanks to red wine and coffee. The music was composed by Phil Creamer. Check out his website at www.hereonout.ca. I'm Michael Koval-Anderson. Thanks for listening.